Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjoe Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjoe Gall. Hello and uh, welcome to this segment on CTN. To learn more, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And the topic for today is patient experience beyond portals. And I have with me uh, Jamie Nelson, who's the Vice President and Chief Information Officer with Hospital of Special Surgery. How are you, Jamie? How's life? I'm well. How are you? Very good. So how's life and business for you? Uh, life is very good, and uh, business at Hospital for Special Surgery is uh, booming. We, uh, you know, we do nothing but orthopedics um, and um, are proud of the work we do here. Um, so things are very good. Oh, great. And I will just have shortly Ben Patel, who is the Chief Information Officer for Sinai Health System, join us. But meanwhile, let's get started, Jamie. Um, so, so the discussion here, what the, the reason we wanted to cover this topic is, of course, healthcare is going through a lot of transformation, and we are talking about the value-based care, and we want to make the patient at the center of how healthcare is delivered. Now, all that said and done, we have people still complain or rather mention that patients are primarily getting some administrative convenience by just getting access to a portal where they can pay their bills. And, and to that extent, we are being um, offered that so-called value-based care, but maybe they are grossly undermining what healthcare is doing. What we wanted to touch here is uh, to, to make sure that healthcare providers are able to share what truly they are going after in order to deliver that patient experience, which is what the patient wants. So where, where are we with that? And, in, and to that end, my first question to you will be, how well do you think the patient's needs are being met today? And do we even know truly what the patients want? Sure. So I, I'm, you know, going to preface my my words with saying that we're talking about patient digital experience um, and how that relates to the care they're getting and their um, ability to know the value of the care, and not only the patients but the people who are paying for that care. That's really important. Um, and we're we're not we're not there yet. Uh, I think that's fairly safe to say. Uh, I was at uh, HIMSS last week, which is the uh, Healthcare Information Systems Society annual convention, 43,000 people, um, and heard a great presentation about how we are now in the experience economy. Um, and that everything, we, you know, we've, we've passed a service economy, but really in an experience economy. Um, every single industry is thinking about what is the customer experience like, and we in healthcare are not immune from that, and that's where this digital patient experience has to go to. Um, and we're, we're just at the beginning. You know, patients are able to use a portal to pay bills or maybe renew a prescription or maybe look up an availability for an appointment, but there's really so much more that has to happen, um, including a lot around the Internet of the patient what's happening with the patient beyond the walls of the hospital. So that's the direction I think we have to go into. Okay, so we have Ben Patel, who's the Chief Information Officer for Sinai Health System, joined us already. Hey, Ben, how are you? Good, good, how are you? Very good, very good. Uh, great to have you. Now, the question uh, that I asked Jamie, of course, one of the leg of that question was, do we truly know what the patients want and then 
are we creating all our strategies and and putting our execution in place around it or this is our ivory tower view of patients needs and which is further tainted by our profit motivation or us thinking as hospital or, or healthcare providers inside out all right i don't think that we truly know what the patient really really needs um you know from an experience standpoint of, of course when um you know patients come to a provider organization like ours and anyone else you know they come for a reason um because hospitals are not fun place so they come for a reason and then we typically take care of that problem or the issue that they have uh you know for the most part but we truly do not have a good understanding of what that patient experience or what that patient is truly looking for before and after um you know the visit or before and after you know the uh, uh sort of the engagement with the provider and i think uh, it is one of one of the reason is because we are all looking from a payer's perspective i mean the whole value based care model is just you know to make sure that the providers that take risk in taking care of patients what that means is making sure the patient is healthy and does not come to the hospital or go to the clinic and uh, make sure that he or she is taken care of mostly in the kind of a home care setting and if that has to happen you know and that's what we are focusing on so we're truly haven't gotten into the whole phase of understanding engaging with the customer creating focus groups and things like that where you truly understand what the patient or even documenting what are they truly looking for i mean in some health systems i've seen they've started doing uh but i think we still have a long way to go um the other thing is we truly don't know the patient's journey and so a lot of organizations are also now getting started to do journey mapping so they truly understand you know what the patient's journey is and then trying to identify you know where they can uh, uh deploy that critical assets to make that patient experience or engagement you know kind of meaningful you know i'd like to make a comment about journey mapping cuz we've started doing that at hospital for special surgery and again we are just orthopedics so we have a somewhat limited patient journey map and it's still very complex i can imagine at an acute care facility with so many more um services provided those patient journey maps are very complicated and when i think about something like banking where they certainly have done customer mapping and and really moved forward with the digital experience it's far simpler you have maybe five or six major activities that customers at the bank go through that you can map we we are in very complex systems uh so i think one of the uh, one of the focuses that we have to have is really what are the most important of those patient journeys or else we'll never get anywhere you have to start small you have to start start somewhere um you right, know maybe absolutely. it's maybe maybe in an acute care hospital it could be the whole maternity you know from before through delivery to post care for us at the hospital for special surgery we're looking at um bundled payments around complex joints because we are at risk for those 90 days afterwards so that patient journey is very important to us um not only because of reimbursement issues but also same thing we don't want our patients winding back and uh, winding up in an ER after surgery here so how do we monitor and manage their experience at home so they really have the best outcomes so right, jamie yeah, based on 
Yeah, so Ben, based on your response, you mentioned that the before and the after when they come to your hospital. So Jamie, coming to you, do you think the patient is actually holding you responsible or somehow connecting you to say how good a hospital or a provider you are based on what their pre and the post treatment uh, experience is? Or is it more about when they come to your hospital starting from the registration to them being admitted to a, to a, a room and how the nurses take care of them, how the doctors take the rounds and really treat them. Where does their so-called experience journey in their mind start? Well, it's interesting because we're trying to change that. I think at this point for them, it's when they hit our website or call our referral service or have some friend refer them to one of our surgeon's offices. I think that's when they see it starting. Um, and that can be variable because, you know, the surgeon offices are not uh, under our auspices 100%, so we don't dictate exactly what that journey is like. We provide tools, but that, that can be a variable experience. What we're trying to do uh, at special surgery is move it back to more of the stage when people are just starting to think about orthopedic care or musculoskeletal care. Um, and we want to cl- collect uh, information while they're still in a relatively healthy state. So identifying those patients in some way, getting questionnaires out to them in an easy digital fashion, and then following them as they, as they come through the system or perhaps helping them not to um, have to have surgery but have other interventions that are non-surgical that will keep them from having surgery. So we're trying to move that, that beginning point backwards. So, Ben, when you look at this journey mapping, um, if, if you were to look at the complexity, because that's the word that's been used in the last few uh, responses to my questions, the complication is because there is variability, but could we not take a common denominator and get started versus waiting for you to have 100% understanding of all possible scenarios, which almost I would see as an impossible task to do? Yeah, so I think let me let me take a step back. I think from our perspective, in our, in in our case, when we look at you know patient journey, we're looking at patient when the patient is at home, when the patient is in the community, that's the starting point. When the patient is in the church, and the patient is in the grocery store, and those kind of pharmacy store, I think that's where the patient, you know, uh, starts having discussions or thoughts about seeing a provider or having an issue. So we're actually working on those kind of strategies. How do we, you know, where do we know, where does the patients go to to seek their, let's just say, not only the primary advice, but where is the congregation of of folks where they can get started talking about these kind of things? And so I think we're trying to start there, and that's when, so basically what we're trying to do is that we're actually thinking about is the whole retail aspect of things because that's where the healthcare is going. As you can see, even Cleveland Clinic, has opened a, a little, you know, retail shop in my suburb in uh, in the northwest side. So I think <clears throat> a lot of those are where we are where we are thinking about getting started. But you know, yes, it is uh, healthcare is not uh, you know restaurant or banking. Uh, it is it's about health, so it is going to be complicated. But I think we've got we have to do we have to do the journey mapping, and I think we can start small. You know, like uh, uh, someone, I forgot her name, she suggested, I think I agree. I think you normally start on the ambulatory side, and then you move on the acute side. And what you typically want is start small and kind of learn. And one area, one, one uh, uh, you know, uh, said, let's say surgery center or procedures area where there is huge demand, 
from both the side, reimbursement and the patient, and try to map the journey before, you know, how the patient get here, before the patient gets here, if it's a referral, who refers them. I mean, the whole journey, and then try to map it and see how you can influence that experience, how you can influence the cost, and how you can influence the health. And uh, that's what we are looking at from three different angles. Jamie, if I were to abstract that portion of the journey, which is more connected to so-called selling them or inviting them or attracting them to your healthcare um, services unit, if you will, and just focus on the portion where they are being actually treated. And that's the part where starting from the registration desk to what happens as you go into a hospital and get treated and thereafter as you go on for your follow-on visits. That's mm-hmm. where you are, that's where when you are being so-called given the experience as a patient before they have come to you, it's more like you're trying to attract them. So right. Jamie, right. So, so, so when we, when we go in that specific, um, what I call as quote-unquote patient experience as a patient, is there some predictability to how you would want to treat them so that they have, if nothing else, if it is not not all the jazz and the uh, wooden uh, paneled walls or, or better cafeteria, just come to the treatment part. Could there be consistency and would that be good starting point for you to say, yes, this is an awesome experience we're giving, which the patient is looking for intuitively? Uh, yes, and that's exactly what we're trying to do um, because there are many digital ways a patient can start to interact with us. We're trying to put a common front end. So no matter where or how a patient's coming in, that digital experience feels exactly the same. And, an experience, and it is an experience based on our population that feels a lot like a, an experience that they do have on their smartphones with whether it's their bank or Amazon or, or any of those others, but something that it's very simple, a couple of clicks. We are looking to try and get all of our um, pre-visit questionnaires um, standardized across services so patients do that in the comfort of their home where they have their medication sitting in front of them, where they can ask their kids what they think about their gait or whatever the questions are. So we're trying to keep a patient from when they walk into our offices from having to have any type of paper. We're really looking to <clears throat> provide them with type, that type of experience from the moment they come in. And, but again, make it consistent so no matter how they're entering our system, they have that same experience, and it's a branded HSS experience um, that to them connotes a certain level of sophistication, quality, and, um, and technology that makes people feel very comfortable with the care they're about to get. Let's take a quick break, listeners, and we'll be right back. And when we come back, Ben, I'd love for you to literally wear the hat of a strategy consultant who deconstructs this problem and the complexity that we, we, both of you mentioned about getting your your journey mapped and, and the other complications, which prevent you from really getting to the point where you want to get to in terms of providing that so-called differentiated patient-centric care. What are the... Fundamental building blocks and where are we in a chronic fashion not able to get to the point where we want to so that this discussion doesn't continue in 2020 as well. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back.
Predict your company's future by creating it. Is your workforce able to connect, exchange ideas, and share brilliance simply and securely? Create tomorrow, today. Empower your people to innovate anytime and anywhere with secured BlackBerry Enterprise mobility management and document sharing solutions. To learn more, visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. Patient-centered care requires a connected enterprise. Are you ready? If you're looking to scale your healthcare IT efforts, visit redmain.com forward slash health today. Whether it's to connect data from multiple partner solutions or developing software for unique needs, Redmain can help. To find out how Redmain can help your company deliver on the patient-centered care promise, visit redmain.com forward slash health or call 773-693-3919. Visit today. Your growing business needs a highly productive workforce, effectively communicating and collaborating without exposing corporate data to cyber attacks. Are you looking to balance security and workforce productivity? Move beyond short-term measures and securely scale your business with BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management Solutions. To learn more, please visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Ben, take it away where you could deconstruct the problem and tell where are we missing the boat for so long because this is, this is turning out to be a chronic issue where we are not able to get a good handle on what the patient wants. So, um, so, now, so I think the <clears throat> first of all, from the inpatient and am- ambulatory side of the thing, I'm, I'm sure <clears throat> none of you know the patient experience that a, that the patient goes through is measured by you know scores like H caps and CG caps. So I think a lot of these patients when they go home, they do get a call, a survey, and they rate <clears throat> the providers. Excuse me, <laughs> and. Um, and, and how we're doing, right? From a real experience standpoint, one of the things that we are struggling with, we're kind of, this is the reason not only for journey mapping, but also some of the <clears throat> analytics and, uh, you know, technology can come in is we're trying to understand how we can optimize the patient experience. So I'll give you an example. In our case, when the patients come for infusion, oncology patients, right? They come for infusion, if we have a backlog and the same infusion patient then has to get the labs done or see the physician or oncologist and so forth. So one of the things that we're trying to understand is how can we optimize that patient's experience by making sure that the patient does not have to wait too long for a specific uh, um, uh, legislative visit or a, uh, or a task, like getting the blood drawn. So if the patient... If there's an issue with uh, with the phlebotomy area where the blood drawn is going to take a little bit longer, then we want to see if we can route that patient, uh, you know, to the physician's office. Or if the physician is is backed up and there is a uh, a delay, then how we can get that patient into the infusion a little bit faster. So I think we're trying to work on that, and that's 
one of the things that we are trying to learn from a couple of health systems who have done that is kind of come up with a patient command center. And that command center basically monitors the patient flow and, you know, come up with ways to optimize that experience. So that when the, as a patient, you feel that you were in and out within the specified amount of time. And, yes, we had to move you a couple of times, but you're, you were not sitting and waiting half an hour or an hour just to see an oncologist or a patient. So that's one example. The other example of behavioral health is we have a lot of folks who come in uh, supposedly for a behavioral health issue, and we kind of came up with an innovative process called critical uh, stabilization unit process where the patients are not truly seen uh, by the expensive ED uh, physicians. We truly have a behavioral health professionals who truly assess them, make sure that this is truly what they came for, and then sometimes we just basically hold them for a couple of hours of observation and send them home, which is typical a process was to admit them. So I think a lot of these are these are the you know kind of small but but very high level examples of what we are doing from an experience standpoint. But we're we're not there yet. We're learning on and obviously we're going through the journey mapping, but we're learning on what can we do to optimize that patient experience. And that's one thing. The other several other things that we have from a technology standpoint, we have deployed iPads you know, to nurses and others who go rounding on patients about their experience, you know, within our facility. So especially on the inpatient side of the story, and we kind of take care of their needs while they are in-house. What we are now getting after is pre-arrival. Before they come to the hospital, you know, we want to make sure that they are aware why they're coming here, what is the procedure all about, is there anything they'll need here, are they going to bring in anything with them, a lot of those kind of things. And then the discharge, post-discharge, and we want to make sure they have all the tools and all the instructions and all the help they need to take care of uh, whether it's a wound or a procedure and so forth. So I think we're trying to get into that area now to make sure that, you know, from a transition of care, from a care coordination standpoint, you know, we are, we are, we are kind of in a closed-loop process. So, Jamie, when we come to uh, so-called the digital experience while they are on-site getting treated with whatever information and or data that may have been gathered from the patients through their so-called treatment journey, and given that they come from all walks of life, not everyone is very up-to-date on technology, do they really enjoy the new age digital experience, and does that give you, as the provider, a thumbs up? Well, I'll tell you, I think that um, it's surprising when you start to look at the data around who actually is enjoying a digital experience. And I think that we often look at the older generation as not being as tech savvy, and in fact, they really are. So I think this is becoming ubiquitous, this this um, uh, recognition and um, desire for a digital experience across all the patients. So I think we're, we're seeing a real, a real shift. I mean, forget about the younger generation that just lives in technology, but I, I think it's across the whole, all strata of patients. Um, and uh, Ben's comments made me think about an excellent Gartner um, article recently published talking about real-time health system. 
and using digital, using the Internet of Things, Internet of Patient, which we're now calling it, I think, to um, be able to know when the patient arrives, um, if, they're, if they're stuck in traffic, where they should park, um, what the wait time is for, you know, their infusion, so perhaps they need to go get their x-ray done first. You know, starting to look at that, but all based on digital sensors that they are wearing, whether it's, you know, a Fitbit or something, uh, an app on their smartphone, and this can go right through the journey while they're in the hospital and then follow them when they leave the hospital um, to help us gather data as to how they're doing. So this real-time health system for us is the holy grail. Um, I don't think anybody is near doing it yet. I think we're all much more premature on our journey. You know, you do hear a lot about command centers. We think about it for our ORs. You know, we have 35 operating rooms uh, running at full speed with all these surgeries. We would, you know, that's something that we would love to see. But but what we're what's going to be enabled by is patients wearing. It's this Internet of Things, this Internet of the Patient that I think is going to be the future of, of the patient experience as they enter our facilities and, and right after they leave. So it's a brave new world. So, uh, Ben, when you're looking at, say, your budget, without divulging too much, do you think you get uh, a carte blanche on anything which is clinical where you can enhance the experience for the patient and, and, and do the right type of uh, procedure on them that, that of course a person's life and well-being is at stake but then when it comes to the wow effect the omni-channel retail style wow effect uh, is the jury still out as you go and present your budget to say I want to do XYZ to enhance it and then you're being questioned on that what's the what's yeah, the think, business of it and then the budget I don't think that I haven't heard I haven't heard any CIO saying that I have unlimited budget or I have, you know, I think we're all in kind of a more or less in the same boat. I have to justify, I have some budget just to play with, but don't have, we'll truly have to, you know, uh, go to the board or go to the, the finance committees of the world uh, to get, you know, kind of sell it, why we need it. In some cases, it's easier because, as I said before, we are being run through the reimbursement model. So if, there, if, a, if a Blue Cross Blue Shield contract says we have to do this, it becomes easier. But it's by no means that uh, we have this carte blanche or, or unlimited or, you know, if you, if you see a need, go ahead and do it. So that, that's one of the obstacles uh, that we have today. Uh, but the good news is that <clears throat> most uh, C-suite and most boards are realizing that this is critical, uh, and I think they are trying to get it funded. Now, it's not a one single budget, it's case by case. And, and of course, you know, as you rightly said, that anything which you will go and you'll have to kind of make a business case, understood. But now, when it comes to the, the budget and as you go and you have to kind of make your case and so-called negotiate with the upper management, are your uh, line items getting approved when you're talking about the new age digital experience because they are coming on board that, okay, the future holds, like Jamie said, that that's the, the brave new world that we are dealing with. So are you, are you getting that support from a funding standpoint just because we are in this digital world? So I think there is still some disconnect. <clears throat> I think the most CIOs obviously get it for, for obvious reasons. Uh, most senior leadership C-suite I don't think that they get it. And I've heard a lot of C-suite folks think that this uh, 
digital transformation is another buzzword. Uh, and in fact, I've heard through vendors that then they try to come in and sell an idea. You know, most, I don't think that there is a good, that's, maybe this is all stemming from a good strategy. So I haven't seen a great strategic plan, a business strategic plan so far. And I work in really some of the very, you know, big and uh, financially rich, you know, academic medical center. So I think that that stems from that because we are still being driven based on how we get reimbursed. And I think that as we get into more at-risk models, I think this will change because IT technology is is the only differentiating factor or the catalyst uh, to compete. Uh, So I think that that is slowly changing, but not as fast as I would like to change uh, or would like to see. So, and it's, it's primarily because most C-suites, if I have to get a funding approval from a CFO, if, if a CFO does not understand why and how the technology will work and how the long term will benefit the health system, then that project, that initiative, that funding is going to get killed. So I, I have a funding story. Um, about a year and a half ago, an inter- interdisciplinary team at the hospital started thinking about how we were going to push our digital transformation. And we wound up um, working with a major IT company who had a really beautiful set of um, ideas, objectives, all journey mapping they do with us, products, everything, including an omnichannel patient call center, everything. When we got the price of this uh, estimated, it was two-thirds of the price that we spent in capital on our whole EMR implementation. So as you can imagine, um, there was sticker shock, and we had to really go back to the drawing board and say, okay, instead of you know putting something new on top of what we had, have, what could we do with what we have now to really optimize the patient experience um, and digital and start smaller? So um, I, I agree with Ben that we, uh, we cannot, there is no carte blanche in terms of spending um, just because of, of the nature of reimbursement for hospital services. Um, and when you start to really figure out what it could cost to get to where you want to go, it's pretty cost prohibitive. So I think by, by nature of how we are paid, we're going to have to take smaller steps, do pilots, figure out what's going to work, use the tools you have and enhance them now. I think it's going to be a gradual process because I don't know of any facility, uh, you know, again, agreeing with Ben, that has the ability just to say, Here, here's an open you know, bank account, do what you need. And I know that exactly happened with us. We got stopped. Let's take a quick break, listeners. Uh, we'll be right back, and let's talk about what's the, the future and what's new available in terms of the technology, in terms of the computing paradigm, in terms of what the, the people as humans are willing to let go or relinquish towards getting the machines to do for them instead, which could be your robotic process automation or AI or other things. Is this like Star Trek for healthcare? Or is this coming? We spoke about telemedicine, but that still has humans on either side. Are we going in that direction? And if we are, then is that supposed to in some way impact patient experience? And if it does, and also it does it, uh, is it going to impact the cost model of how things happen and how the reimbursements are made? Let's explore this. We'll be right back. Please stay tuned. 
Your growing business needs a highly productive workforce, effectively communicating and collaborating without exposing corporate data to cyber attacks. Are you looking to balance security and workforce productivity? Move beyond short-term measures and securely scale your business with BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management Solutions. To learn more, please visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. Patient-centered care requires a connected enterprise. Are you ready? If you're looking to scale your healthcare IT efforts, visit redmain.com forward slash health today. Whether it's to connect data from multiple partner solutions or developing software for unique needs, Redmain can help. To find out how Redmain can help your company deliver on the patient-centered care promise, visit redmain.com forward slash health or call 773-693-3919. Visit today. Predict your company's future by creating it. Is your workforce able to connect, exchange ideas, and share brilliance simply and securely? Create tomorrow, today. Empower your people to innovate anytime and anywhere with secured BlackBerry Enterprise mobility management and document sharing solutions. To learn more, visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So AI, machine learning, robotic process automation, do they have a place in the healthcare delivery? And Ben, if the question is yes, when do you expect this to happen or is this too far out and is it too much of a Star Trek and futuristic approach which is not practical today? So, um, yeah, I think there is, of course, uh, definitely a space and a need for uh, deep learning and AI. I don't think that we're at that point today uh, that will replace humans, physicians, clinicians. Um, I think that what what we are at this stage, we're just scratching uh, the surface. We're starting very basic, uh, not very sexy side of the story, behind the scene, and more on the machine learning, trying to understand how we can improve operations. I think that's the stage we are at. And then once we learn, once we apply, you know, the deep learning, once we create the capabilities, I don't think every organization is capable of doing this. So the whole capability and maturity model needs to be there. Once you do that, then you can evolve from a simple, you know, operational efficiencies, you know, like doing a predictive analytics, or trying to understand what your patient throughput is going to be, once you do that, then you can, you know, go from there into something else like creating a, um, you know, kind of a virtual clinical assistant and and so forth. So I think that's where we are starting. And But the promise is huge. Opportunity is huge. If we can do that, we can use the technology to truly augment a clinician and help that clinician diagnose things faster, can complete <clears throat> some of the notes faster, can do the documentation a little bit faster, I think that'll be huge. Or create, a, create 3D, even 4D, uh, uh, you know, uh, images and, uh, and, and, and objects for patients to see what's going on, what are the treatment options. I mean, a lot of those are 
what I would say, uh, you know, the AI has uh, has to offer. I think where we are today is basically either understanding, creating the capabilities, and applying to uh, operations side of the story, and that's where um, I believe uh, we're going to see some of the gains. Uh, not trying to create a Star Trek-y kind of a you know, scenario, which I'm not sure how that will work and, and what problems will be solved. So, Jamie, if we were to keep so-called the unnerving aspect of humans losing jobs and being replaced by machines, if you look at a physician or a, a nutritionist or someone who brings some decision-making and some knowledge base based on what they have learned, and you replace it by an algorithm, which brings knowledge from a lot of different sources and also decision-making based on many, many, many of such similar people with a lot more experience and, and use that for decision-making on a given patient, instance by instance. Is that not logical prog progression towards, if, if, towards the patient's experience and the patient's health improvement? I think it absolutely is logical progression, and I have no worries about um, massive job loss. Uh, you know, who has enough MDs? Who has enough uh, nutritionists? Who has enough respiratory therapists? We're, we, you know, healthcare, we don't have enough staff to do these very important functions. So if we could use AI uh, and predictive analytics and machine learning as assistive technologies to um, suggest uh, likely diagnoses or likely best practices. I think that would um, really help to improve healthcare, improve effectiveness and efficiency, um, get patients out more quickly or to the right settings more quickly or to be seen in the right settings. So um, I, I don't see this as any, I don't see any issue around replacing people. I don't think we ever will. I mean, look at PACS, look at radiology. Uh, that was the first of the ologies to really go fully digital. And we still have many radiologists. You still need them. PAX is really an assistive technology. Um, so I, I think that that's absolutely the direction we should go in. There is just too much information for any clinician to really master in this day and age. Um, and I think that for best patient care, having analytics to help present information um, and, and assist in decision-making is, is critical to, to moving forward. And, and so if we, if we see that there, the value proposition is there and the technology is here, what prevents us from embracing it, piloting it, and actually start bringing it into mainstream because many of your resource issues or decision-making delays or errors could reduce and which, in a way, directly contribute towards patient experience. Even when they are in the hospital, which is what we spoke about in the very beginning. Well, I think at, at a local level, uh, it's more about resources. Um, we, we have a lot more in our organization what we call data manipulators, people who love data and do stuff with it. Then we have the, the engineering resources underneath it to, you know, stand up uh, big data platforms to start really doing the sophisticated engineering. So at least in our shop, it's just um, moving forward with analytics. You know, we put our, our um, EMR in uh, two years ago. So we're really now just 
getting a really great repository and a data warehouse stood up. So there are just some practical limitations not having the the staffing and the processes in place yet. So that's that's number one. So getting that data there. And then, of course, convincing the clinicians that the data is um, helpful to them. But a lot of what we're doing is having our clinicians be part of some of these new ventures. So, for instance, uh, we're part of a new company. We're setting up a new company that's helping to um, read images and um, correctly diagnose images. And it's our radiologists and our surgeons that are part of that company that are helping to um, build that those analytics and those algorithms and, and help with the machine learning. So actually having your clinicians involved in the development is very important because then they understand the value, how the decisions were made, and, and they can stand behind it with their colleagues. So, Ben, right, so if you were... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to just, you know, comment on that, that, you know, a couple of things. First is, um, you know, the resources, like Jamie said. You know, the resources are today, most IT shops spend, you know, most of the time in operational, you know, firefighting mode. And I think that one of the things that needs to be done is we need to have a bimodal approach to this. If you need to have innovative, creative things like this to exist, you need to have a team that's dedicated, can execute that. That's one thing. The second thing is the data, you know, AI, machine learning, all that relies on data that is uniformly done, collected, and structured. You know, most health systems, even if you're using an EMR, you know, the struggle is to get every physician, every clinician document and, uh, um, you know, enter the data in a uniform fashion. That typically doesn't happen because a physician, every physician has his own style of either dictating, typing, you know, a lot of those kind of things. So I think that is also a struggle for you to do any AI, anything. So you need to make sure your data is not dirty. So I think those are the key things, you know, before you have a pilot or you can get started and, and go anywhere from there. So, Ben, to your response, isn't progress better than perfection? Is there a, a less than perfect model where you're not truly yeah. relying on every possible last level of detail that a physician provides and others, and, and then you, yeah. could, you could kind of live with that semi-quality of data or semi-availability of data and still kick off these initiatives and then work absolutely, towards absolutely. moving forward? No, no, absolutely, and, and we have. So we have started here, and I always say that 70%, 80% of data is better than zero or nothing. So we're not going for accuracy. We're just going to make sure at least 70%, 80% of the data entered is uniform, is accurate, that we're not missing data. If you're relying uh, on AI and a couple of pieces of critical data and one of them is missing, you know, your algorithm is going to fall apart. So that, but you're right, we are moving into that. But if you really want to that accurately apply this logic to every patient that comes to the door, that may be challenging. So, you know, take sepsis as an example, right? So a lot of those, and some of these algorithms are out there. You know, you don't need to develop. You know, CMS has it. You know, there are now, I forgot, there are a bunch of sites where you can even buy algorithms. It's just applying on it is, is the thing. So I think, and then the other thing, I, as I said, the resources are other issues. Now, most health system hospitals spend more time either maintaining EMRs or the infrastructure, but they have little time in doing kind of the innovative and the creative. That's where we are. What we I'm doing is creating a bimodal team approach where we have one team just completely focused on operation, the one team 
completely focused on what I call the value-added, you know, kind of projects, including innovation. So, uh, Jamie, would you say if we were to create a, a checklist of things that we ought to be doing behind the scenes or on the front end, which will constitute an excellent uh, patient experience which exceeds their expectations? And I start checking off one at a time, chip away at these problems. Are we working with that approach or that model, or are we looking at the urgent over important, and that's why this stays convoluted as it was five years ago? Well, when we uh, restarted our digital journey after the sicker shock of our <laughs> of our partners' pricing, um, we di- we looked at what the various because digital is many things, um, and ask anybody in the hospital what digital is, and you'll get a different answer. So we wound up taking a group of uh, of stakeholders, putting them in a room for a few days, and really trying to map out what the digital projects that were in play, how they interrelate, and what we really should be knocking out first. Um, we're, so, and we wound up with, you know, the, the magic quadrants and all the stuff that was up in, you know, the, the quadrant that said easy to do and uh, not too expensive. Those are the ones that we figured maybe we'd start because you really have to have, you know, you have to start somewhere. Um, so things that we were almost there with or we knew would bring a lot of value and we could, we could um, get done with, with not so many resources, that's where we're starting, just so we can start to have a digital experience. And, and for us, a lot of that meant using Epic, which is our EMR, using um, MyChart, their portal, and starting to augment um, or starting to use that and, and really build out the patient experience from there because we had it in place. So before we do anything around it, fancy bells and whistles, what can we do within my chart to start to implement that patient experience? Um, it's funny. I just read um, a study done by, I think, NTT Data, and they said that 78% of tech-savvy consumers say that the healthcare digital customer experience needs to improve and that half of them would leave their current physicians for a better digital customer experience. So there really is a burning platform if, if digital is starting to become the differentiator, um, and especially in a community where you have multiple hospital systems or you have um, a, a big uh, physician community that patients have choice. So really starting to roll something out that patients can feel and appreciate, um, I, th- I think, is critical to, you know, to our economic uh, survival. And it's interesting, the same study talked about basic things that patients are looking for. They're looking for searching for a doctor. They're looking for accessing a, a loved one's uh, health records. They're looking for appointments, test results, bills, prescriptions. This is not fancy stuff. But just getting that right... I think would would propel any institution, you know, on a journey and get that stickiness from their patients that that we're trying to do with with the digital experience. So to that, whatever you you said, Jamie. So coming to you, Ben. If that's what patient is looking for, and that's how in their mind the digital experience is, how dependent are you to on the external entities which you don't control to be able to provide that to the patients? Like somebody trying to look up a loved one's health records. If if you have them, you can show them, right? 
Ben, I think we lost you. So, Jamie, coming back to you, why don't you look at it from your standpoint that if, if you said that this is what you want to provide to a patient, then why could you not uh, provide that to them given that you have that data? What prevents us? Um, I would say just resources. Again, there are um, there are so many... There's so many wants out of an IT department today, and as Ben says, a lot of what we're doing is just, you know, keeping the lights on, Um, but there are so many requests coming from so many areas, and we live, HSS is a very um, IT-sophisticated community from our clinician standpoint, so just prioritizing what should we do first, Um, even something as simple as texting. Texting appointment times or texting visit reminders or texting uh, that a result is ready. Uh, there's so much behind that simple technology in terms of making sure that you have your privacy regulations, that it's cyber secure, that um, your um, patient experience committee agrees. I mean, there's so many levels that you have to get um, through to push technology out, and there's so many technologies that are, that are being requested. I think just prioritize. Um, and assigning resources to certain things is, you know, to the high, highest priority things is is really just the, the initial step in the stumbling block. We uh, we never have enough um, supply of, of IT resources to meet the insatiable demand of our users. So it's really about prioritizing what is the long-term goal of the institution and which of these technologies that you can just pick off a list um, is going to help further that goal. So it, that's... There's not a lack of work, <laughs> for sure. And and if you are talking about uh, the people and the policies and processes changes, so Ben, a question for you here, that we are talking about all this patient experience, etc. And yes, you mentioned that we could have a bimodal. But then there is a fundamental shift that's required for us to transform our patient experience with or without digital. So is there so-called a stencil that you would use to say, okay, these are the bare-bone common fundamentals that we have to have in place before you can think about morphing the patient experience to something which the patients desire? Well, no, I think uh, for, you know, I mean, I think we sometimes we give too much credit to technology and others to, to, to think that, you know, patient experience truly needs, you know, everybody on tablets. I think that patient experience, like you and I, when we go to, you know, any other place, like even retail shops, right? I mean, you need to just have, a, it's all about process. It's all about people. You know, healthcare is 80% people, right? 20, almost less than 10% technology. So I think we need to focus on the process. You know, when the patient comes, what are they looking for? How can we greet them? How can we, you know, offer them simple things, you know? I think a lot of those can be doable now without truly any major investment. Yes, there are digital components. There are digital help. But I think there are, I mean, so let me give you an example. We, we have a whole community institute here. And what we did was we actually surveyed in the community. We went into the community and asked, okay, what is it that they told us that when, when, our, when our patients come to your hospitals, they want respect. They want to be treated equally. They want, to, regardless of their income, uh, you know, the their, their language they speak, anything. So we heard that, 
And then we're now trying to improve our processes to make sure that every patient feels welcome and then they feel that we heard what they came for and so forth. So I think, I don't think that, 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 that minimal investment is, is, you know, huge, but you have to really tailor to the needs of your patient, you know, create processes that will help that patient feel welcome, that people are listening, and then try to see what we can use technology to, to enhance that. One final question, um, 30 seconds for you, Jamie. Talk about the leadership style. If you were to become a better version of you, what would that be for you to be able to enable the next level of patient experience leveraging technology under your leadership? Ah, patience. <laughs> um, it's very interesting because the decision we ultimately made around digital that I described, I knew that answer a year before. Um, but I could not just implement that. I needed to have the patience to let our constituents within the hospital community come to that same decision. So um, it really is about consensus and, you know, the old-fashioned management principles, I think, that still are very important. And you really cannot just forward, forge forward with the IT lead. You need to always have uh, the patience to allow your users to help drive um, and for you to be the enabler. So continuing along that path, I think, is very important. On behalf of the show and our listeners, thank you so much, Jamie and Ben, for sharing your views on how healthcare providers are evolving uh, and are trying to provide the best patient experience and where they are today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sanjay. And listeners, uh, hope you enjoyed the conversation. Please like us on Facebook, search for CTN, and be sure to follow us on Twitter and join our LinkedIn community. There are a lot of podcasts, iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify. You can find us everywhere. So please listen and rate our podcast. Thank you again for listening to this segment on CTN. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Thank you again for listening. CTN CIO Talk Network is brought to you by Redmain and BlackBerry. If you're 85 or younger, would you like peace of mind and comfort for your family? We're Final Expense Direct with an urgent message for you. The average funeral today costs over 8000